a lot of times people want to know how I'm able to do things and not be nervous. And I'm honest with them. I think a lot of it has to do with my ADHD brain that I'm very impulsive. I don't think things through. I just do things anyway without thinking about them. And that's why I don't get nervous. But that's also allows me to take these big risks. It's the Inspiration Place podcast with artist Miriam Shulman. Welcome to the Inspiration Place podcast, an art world insider podcast for artists by an artist, where each week we go behind the scenes to uncover the perspiration and inspiration behind the art. And now, your host, Miriam Shulman. Well, hello, Artpreneur. Welcome to the Inspiration Place. This is Miriam Shulman, your curator of inspiration, and you're listening to episode number 262. Holy cow. I can't believe that I've done 262 episodes, but I am so grateful that you're here and listening today. I know some of you might be new and some of my listeners have been here since the very beginning, but to both I am grateful for. So today we are talking all about future self. And the reason I got this idea for today's podcast is because I recently went to Montreal, to Cornwall actually, not Mo- which is an hour from Montreal. It's actually right in between Cornwall and I guess in Ottawa. And I went there on an invitation for a speaking engagement. The Cornwall Business Institute, they wanted to do a talk called Artpreneur, and they found me. And they kindly invited me and also paid for me to fly out there, and they bought 100 copies of my book. And I believe there were about 40 people attended. So everyone who attended, they got a free book, and I gave a talk. I actually gave my boot camp talk to them. Anyone who's done my three-day boot camp, I revised it and cut it down to a basically a three-part series that we did together over two hours. And so there were some interesting lessons that I learned from traveling. So I wanted to share them with you. Okay. So this is why it's called Future Self. I'll just get back to my notes. I lost my notes, but I don't think I even have any notes. Okay. <laughs> like I have I have these show notes and sometimes I write them very detailed. When I do, it usually takes me several hours. And other times I don't have time to do it and I just start talking. And what I found is that sometimes those podcasts actually come out better than the ones that I spend hours scripting. So that's what's happening today. We're just like sitting here like at a kitchen table and I'm talking to my friend, you, about my trip and what happened and what the lessons were. All right. So I told you they paid for my travel and they bought the books. And a couple of weeks before I left, I was speaking to the person running and she said, would you like to be picked up from the airport? I said, oh, absolutely. And she asked me what time I was coming in and I told her and she's, okay, I will send you the information. And by that, I thought that she meant that they, she was arranging it. Now, it wasn't until I landed in Montreal 
that I realized there was nobody standing there with a sign that said Miriam Shulman, <laughs> that there was nobody coming to pick me up. And I'm looking around and looking around and my phone did not have service because I'm a dumb American who forgot that Canada is a different country and I'm not going to have service there. And guess what? They don't have Ubers there either, by the way. Not that that would have helped me because remember, I didn't have cell phone service. I could plug into the free Wi-Fi at the airport, which I did. And I pulled up the email and I saw that she had sent me the information, but the information didn't say like, Joe's picking me up. It basically said, here's the link to the taxi we recommend type of email. So why am I calling this about future self? Because past Miriam did not think about future Miriam arriving in the airport. If I had thought a lot about future Miriam arriving in the airport, I would have double checked that I knew who was picking me up and not assumed that somebody was picking me up. Now, let me tell you, this never, ever would have happened had I been traveling with my husband because my husband is the risk manager of the family. I think I've talked about this before in terms of Enneagrams. My husband is an Enneagram, which is a personality type. He's an Enneagram six, which is the risk manager of the Enneagrams. And all the Enneagram personality types, I think there's nine of them, I think. And each one has a strength and a weakness. And sometimes the weakness is the strength. So he is the risk manager in terms of he's always thinking ahead, thinking of things like he was so sweet, like the day before he made sure I had my passport. He made sure I had Dramamine for the trip because I've only recently started to develop some queasiness about flying. So he made sure I had all these things. If he had was with me, he probably would have made sure that we had somebody picking us up from the airport. I, on the other hand, I'm not always focused so much on that risk management side of the future. On the other hand, because I don't have fears of things going wrong in the future, because that is what motivates somebody to really double check and cross their T's and dot their I's and make sure that every little detail is taken care of because they have fears about things going wrong, which can be healthy. You see how he never would have had the situation where he would land in this foreign country without or having prearranged some sort of ride. And at the same time, it was also a strength for me because I realized, oh, that's the reason I'm not nervous about giving a talk because in my future, everything's perfect that I'm imagining. My future self doesn't have to worry. It's all going to be great and fine. And so that's what keeps me from being nervous. So I just thought that was very, very interesting. Now, just so you know, I did make it from the airport to my destination, but it cost me a lot of money because in the airport, there are always people saying, do you need a taxi? Do you need a taxi? And they prey on tourists like me. I said, yeah, I'm going to Cornwall. And she says, well, that's going to be very expensive. And I'm thinking to myself, well, I'm from New York. How how expensive could it be? You know, try me. (laughs) Because like usually the taxi from New York City to where we used to live in the suburbs was about $100. And she said $200. And, or maybe it was, no, it was more. I think it was $240. Canadian dollars, but then I didn't have Canadian dollars on me. So 
and, and by the way, she didn't tell me how much it was. As soon as I said, how much it is, is it? She says, very expensive. I'll tell you exactly in a minute. And she picked up my suitcase and she ran over to her car and put it in there. And it wasn't until we were driving out from the airport that she was calculating it. And she said, $240. And I was like, well, turn around and bring me back to the airport. But by then I knew I was stuck. And she did too. She was like, so what are you going to do? Everyone else is going to charge you the same amount. Which, by the way, it wasn't true. Because... When I went back to the airport, and I actually just got back today. When I came back from Cornwall to Montreal Airport two days later, it was less, but not so, so less, but it was definitely less, like maybe 20%. So, yeah, that was Miriam not worrying about her future self. However, I did take care of my future self when it came to my food which I think is so funny. So I did something that only my mother would have done. In my checked luggage, I put food in my checked luggage because I knew that I was landing late and that there probably wouldn't be anything good to eat. And I wanted to make sure that future Miriam had a good meal before I went to sleep. So I did. I packed some soup and I was able to warm it up in the microwave. It was so good. So, yep, that is about future self. The thing is, is that a lot of times people want to know how I'm able to do things and not be nervous. And I'm honest with them. I think a lot of it has to do with my ADHD brain, that I'm very impulsive. I don't think things through. I just do things anyway without thinking about them. And that's why I don't get nervous. But that also allows me to take these big risks. So I'm not even quite sure what the lesson is here for you because I'm basically saying, well, I'm this way because I'm ADHD and maybe you're not. But the thing is, is that you have to know that anything that you do that is your weakness is also your strength. Because look at my husband, like you may be wondering, wait a minute, why is that the weakness? He's the one who always gets to the airport on time. But it is a weakness because if you're always having fears about the future, that can make you very anxious. So his strength of thinking ahead and being prepared is also his weakness. All right. So that was my Montreal trip. Now I want to focus on New York City because there is so many good things happening right now. I am so excited and I hope that you are too. And I am gonna be talking a lot about art exhibits in New York City right now. I especially hope that you're gonna be able to come and see me. I have planned a bunch of things. I've already started doing them. So remember I, know I said earlier that I'm very impulsive and I had this idea, you know what? What if I just get a table at the Metropolitan Museum of Art and I invite people to come? And so I just do it. I book a table and I send out an email and lo and behold, someone signed up and it was so much fun. So it was just me and another artist. I'm not gonna share her full name because I don't think I have permission to do so, but her first name is Kimberly. And she was absolutely amazing. So Kimberly is a teacher and she wants to be a full-time artist. And because it was just the two of us and we had two hours together, I really was able to dive deep. 
I didn't bring my laptop. I didn't want it to be that kind of experience for her, but I brought her phone up on my website. I went through every page. She was taking notes. I was telling her what to change. We worked out a whole strategy on how to price her art, how to sell her art, what she should be focused on. And it was just the most delightful experience for me to be helping this young woman really pave the way for her career by giving her such a detailed look at her art business. And for the most part, we did it at the Metropolitan Museum of Art members dining room, which I adore. It has these beautiful windows overlooking Central Park. And even if you're not seated exactly in front of the windows, you still have that beautiful light coming in. And then after our meal was over, we took the elevator up to the roof. There's this great installation by an artist named Lauren Halsey. Halsey, I hope I'm saying that right. So it's the Roof Garden Commission. And the way she made it look, and by the way, if you're listening to this as this show goes live, you, you'll be able to look at it until October 22nd, 2023. The roof is spectacular. You have views all around the city from on top of the roof. And this American artist who was born in 1987, which would make her 35? Yeah, I think 35. 35 or 36. Anyway, it's a very site-specific installation. And the way she made this look, it's a full-scale architectural structure It has the energy and the imagination of South Central Los Angeles, where she was born and continues to work. And what she did was she made it look almost like Egyptian art and architecture. So it has the same kind of ancient Egyptian symbolism, but combined it with utopian architecture and visual expressions like graffiti tagging. So combining graffiti to make it look like hieroglyphics. And there's also places where it looks like an African-American head where symbols are shaved into the head, but the way it's depicted, it's in a very Egyptian style, like sphinxes with very clearly African features. I think that the museum has been doing a really thoughtful job of rewriting the narrative and of its collections and its work. And this is one beautiful example of that to encompass Black American life within the museum and within its collection. So I do hope that you get to see that. Now, in terms of other art events, so these mini sessions, mini masterminds, I call them mastermind and dine, where you either have lunch or dinner with me. I book a table and I never book a table for more than four people. Kimberly was lucky enough to have me all to herself, but there would never be more than just a couple of people, which is I know perfect if you're socially awkward or a little bit introverted. And I am too, honestly. That's why I like doing it this way because I'm really not great 
in big crowds and lots of people. I like more intimate settings. So this is just a great way for me to bring my love of food and my love of art and combine it with my passion for helping artists just like you. So if you want to do one of these mini sessions, I did plan one for June. So it's not too late to see if you can book me on that table if it hasn't filled up by now. And I also booked another one for July. Actually, I'm not sure if I booked one for July, but there should be at least two dates on the calendar when you go. The page where we're listing it is shulmanart.com forward slash IRL. And at least one person on my email list wrote to me and said, hey, what does IRL mean? So if you don't know what it means, don't worry. I don't know what every acronym means either, but that just happens to be one that I know and love. So IRL means in real life, in real life because nothing compares to real life. That's why I loved actually the speaking engagement in Montreal so much. I forgot how much I love being kind of on that stage. And I was feeding off the energy of the people in the room and really, you know, in the webinars, people ask me questions, but it's like a typed question. So I love this like three dimensionality of really taking what I do into the world and not being what my husband likes to call the invisible society where you really don't see anybody. Okay. So those are the mini sessions and the Lauren Halsey or Halsey, I'm not trying to say it, exhibit. Definitely you want to see that. The other exhibits that you want to see also feature women artists. So I will be doing a segment at the end of this podcast we will be doing another The Art World Remembers. This one is about the artist who's currently at the Guggenheim. She did not recently pass away, but it is an overlooked artist, one that I didn't know until I saw her art at this exhibit. So hopefully I'm introducing you to her as well. And if you already know about her, then you'll get to celebrate her with me. So also, other woman at the Met is Cecily Brown. I have not seen the exhibit yet, Hopefully, I'll get to see that one with you. When you do go to the Met with me for lunch, obviously, I treat you to everything. I treat you to your museum pass. I treat you to lunch. And I treat you, of course, to all the coaching. So I hope you'll look into that. Now, I also planned an all-day event. And I have plenty of time to plan. So we can take care of both future Miriam and future you in I always think about the food first. So I'm planning all the food and making sure every detail is taken care of. So for the other events, George O'Keefe is coming to the MoMA and I couldn't be more excited. I know this is going to sell out, which is why I am reserving a block of tickets so that if you come to New York for an all-day mastermind event on Thursday, August 3rd, that I will have a reserved ticket for you to go to the MoMA and see George O'Keefe on that Friday. So I know many of you live far away, but I purposefully planned this event on a Thursday with those tickets on Friday so that you can make a whole long weekend out of it. There's so much to do in New York City. It is one of the art capitals of the world, and you can't help but be inspired 
by everything it has to offer. So the mastermind events are going to be a little different and the spaces are already starting to fill up. One of the reasons that those spaces are starting to fill up is because I gave away some of the spots to boot campers who participated in my last two boot camps. And I'm also giving away spots to people who bought my book. That was one of the prizes was to have an all day mastermind. But if you didn't win the prize, absolutely, you can get your ticket to come with me. So I'm having a VIP option, which is like the full first class, the works, you would get lunch with me, you get dinner with me. And it's not just with me, it's the point. It's like the whole very bougie experience. Like I said, I'm reserving the tickets for Georgia Key for you. And it's a full day of coaching. Again, same page, shulmanart.com forward slash IRL. I hope you'll join me. That one will also be small, a small event. I don't anticipate more than 12 people being there. I'm pretty sure that's what we're going to cap it at because I don't want to be responsible for more people. Okay, so that is that. And I do want to, though, share more lessons about George O'Keefe. So let's talk a minute about the lessons on George O'Keefe. I have not seen the exhibit yet. I did just renew my membership for the MoMA so that I can see it. And when you have a membership at MoMA, you can actually, I'm pretty sure you can actually go see the show whenever you want to. You don't need time tickets, I think. But either way, I'm seeing this no matter what. And O'Keefe, of course, as you know, she's best known for her, her flower paintings, but she also made an extraordinary series of works in charcoal and pencil and watercolor and pastel. And she worked in series. She worked in series. So what this show is about is are these series. And the show is called To See Takes Time, which is an exact quote that Georgia O'Keeffe once wrote, which really exemplifies her work. And you can see how she took something, experimented, and then developed it and developed it and reworked the same subjects, repeating and transforming the motifs and really making more mature paintings and drawings from them. So this was a breakthrough time in her artistic career. Mostly, I believe that this show focuses between 1915 and 1918. And she made many works on paper and she produced a progression of bold lines, organic landscapes and nudes. I am so excited to see the nudes. I did get a glimpse of somebody's photo on Instagram of the nudes. I just can't wait. I really can't wait. It looks so inspiring. So even when she was developing her other series, her important series, the flowers in the 30s, the portraits in the 40s, her aerial views in the 50s, she kept her commitment to working on paper and drawing in this way enabled O'Keefe to capture not only nature's forms, but it's rhythms. So tracing the sun's spiraling descent in vividly hued pigment or committing to velvety black and the shifting perspective is seen from an airplane window. 
All right, my friend. So I hope that you will get to see it. And I hope you'll get to see it with me. When we come back, we're going to talk about the artist Gecko in the Art World Remembers. In the meanwhile, we've got another troll email to share. Stick around. Okay, here's my two cents. Oh, dear. I researched Miriam's $2,000 program and find just about no criticism. To me, that is suspicious for a non-guaranteed pay-now-and-find-out kind of program. She offers a money-back guarantee. I find very little information on her personally except what she has put out there. You have got to be kidding me. My thinking is if she's been doing this over 20 years, certainly somebody has something bad to say about her. Phil... You sound so ignorant. A simple Google search brings up Forbes, Entrepreneur, and countless other podcasts that have interviewed her. Nobody on this earth is that perfect. Did you know her book is published by HarperCollins? And you can check the reviews on Amazon? Probably fake. How about the lack of criticism is due to the success and quality of her book and program? I like all the stuff she says she represents and says she has done and are doing. I would have a long list of unbiased research of people and companies. Your company does not have the kind of negative information I'm looking for. <sighs> Sorry, I can't provide your trolling with more negativity. Again, no one is perfect. I don't have patience with Phil. Daisy, do you want to take over? You seem to be good at handling trolls. Well. We can ignore him, or we can make him read one of Miriam's Amazon reviews. I'll read one. I can't stand the sound of his trollish voice anymore. All right then, carry on. This one is from Terry from Canada. Terry writes, Artpreneur will have a spot on my desk to keep it handy to refer to time and again. This gold nugget of a book is the only guiding light you need to grow and maintain your business. It will keep you real and asking the right questions about where you want your business to go, plus the steps you need to get there. I really love the marching orders as it breaks the thing you learned into actionable steps. Thank you for writing this book. It both motivates me and inspires me. Are there any negative reviews? Yes, you can go read them yourself if you like doing that sort of thing. For the rest of us who prefer to stay positive, let's get back to the show. All right, welcome back for this segment of the Art World Remembers. Okay, so I was very fortunate to get a tour of the most recent exhibition at the Guggenheim Museum. In case you don't know, it's that museum that looks like a beehive designed by Frank Lloyd Wright that's on Fifth Avenue, just north of the Metropolitan Museum of Art. and. This exhibition blew me away and it, it just astounded me so much that I decided we have to make an Art World Remembers segment on it. So the artist who is known as Gecko, her real name was Gertrude Goldschmidt. Her family had to flee Germany in 1939, just before the outbreak of World War II. And obviously, because she was fleeing Nazi persecution, she's Jewish. Her father was a prominent lawyer and had his license revoked by the Nazi regime. And a lot of their property was confiscated. 
However, Gecko or Gertrude entered Venezuela on an architect visa, and she was able to practice that until her 40s. Now, the curator who gave the tour was very clear, and I was very enchanted by this description, or at least I thought this is what she said, was that she decided to become an artist after her divorce in her 40s. So I was trying to make sure I pulled the right talking points about her from ChatGPT, because this is an artist that I never heard of before, not until I saw this exhibit. And like I said, it blew me away. I really want everyone to know about this artist. And I was trying to get more facts out of ChatGPT. And I was like, well, did she become, you didn't mention that she focused on her art after she got divorced. And ChatGPT kept insisting that the divorce had no influence on her becoming an artist. And then he changed his story, like he was gaslighting me, and claimed that Gecko was never divorced because she was never married. I was like, this is so wrong. So I went to Wikipedia, which is much more trustworthy than ChatGPT, and did some fact-checking. So yes, indeed, the curator was right, and Wikipedia agrees with the curator that she was married. She was married in 1940 to the urban planner Ernst Guns, and I guess he was an yeah he was an urban planner at the architectural firm where she worked, and they had designed the Los Cabos estate for Louis Roche. Hopefully, I'm pronouncing everyone's name right. I always worry about that. So they married in 1940, and let me just like. Double check how old she was. Okay, so she was born in 1912. So that would have made her 28 when she got married. And so then I'm still arguing with ChatGPT. <laughs> so I went back. I said, hey, I don't think you're right. She married this person here. And he was like, no, 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 no. Okay. Then he changed the story again. Okay, she's, yes, you're right. She was married, but she was never divorced. I was like, well, actually, and then the other, oh, the other thing I was arguing with ChatGPT, I was like, well, did she have children? And so he was like, no, no, she didn't have any kids. I said, well, actually, what about these two people, Tomas and Barbara, who Wikipedia said she had these two children with Ernst Guns. And so then ChatGPT, of course, changed the story again. Oh, no, you're right. I'm so sorry. I was confused. Oh, my gosh. It was like talking to my mother. It keeps changing her stories. Okay, so we get a ChatGPT. You're very confused. I don't know where you're getting your facts from. There must be things on the internet that are not true. So this is just a little bit of a warning for all those teenagers and college students out there who are trying to use ChatGPT to write papers, or adults for that matter, trying to write their books and blog content with ChatGPT, be warned, it's not a reliable source, okay? So she was married, she had two children, Tomas and Barbara, and then they did get divorced in the early 1950s. And they closed their studio in 1944. So that was before they got divorced so she could focus on raising her children. And she returned to architecture in 1948. So in 1951, 
all these dates aren't so important, but the t- I guess the timeline kind of is. So after she separated from her husband, she met artist and graphic designer Gerd Lufert. So, and I'm assuming these are also, I don't know about her husband's, I could look it up, but they do sound like they're also German Jews, I'm assuming, but I could be wrong about that. So she was partnered with him for the rest of her life. And their romantic partnership coincided with the development of her artistic career. So basically, yes, in her 40s, she got divorced and decided to become an artist, or rather she left her husband and decided to become an artist, which I think is just beautiful. So there's so many people in the community who ask me, is it too late? Who am I to think? And here is this artist who began her artistic career in her 40s, and her art's in the Guggenheim, okay? Now, she's no longer with us. She passed away in the 90s. I believe she died in 1994, and she was in her 80s. Is that right? Yeah, so she was born in 1912. Okay, so what's most important that I want you to know about her art is that she didn't consider it sculpture. And she didn't consider that she was using a line to represent an image. The line is the image. And what she did was just so beautiful and so moving. So like I said, the sculptures, she considered them line drawings in space. And then she had these drawings, which were sculptures on paper. So everything was just so beautiful. In her early career, you can see her watercolors and her collages and her monotypes in 54 and 56. And what I was most struck by those early works was it was kind of like when you look at a baby picture of somebody and you know what they're going to look like. So when you see a baby and you don't know what they're going to look like, you're just looking at a baby as a baby, you have no idea what the baby's going to turn into. But when you know the person at age 30, 40, 50, and you go then to look at their baby pictures, you can see the resemblance of what they're going to grow into. And that was the same experience I felt while looking at her early works, is that they were like looking at somebody's baby pictures. And initially, I was thrown off because the name of the exhibition is called Measuring Infinity. And I was reminded of Yayo Kusama because she talks about her infinity nets and Gecko does these nets. However, the two artists couldn't be more different. So by the end of the exhibition, I concluded that it wasn't like Kusama's work at all. Yayo Kusama, if you're familiar with her work, she will replicate and replicate and replicate. And then she uses mirrors to give that idea of infinity. So Kasama's work is like looking at art through a telescope, like looking at the universe through a telescope that you can see out into the vast infinite horizon. Gecko's work on the other hand is almost like taking life and looking at it under a microscope. Like you're looking at organisms with things that look like, like cells So it's a very different experience. And her art is so alive because it moves in a way it never can be 
most of it, not all of it, it can't be produced the same way again. A lot of the pieces were wires that were attached with the black wire tape. So depending on how it's installed by the curators, the piece completely changes. It was very fluid. Now, some notes I wrote down that I just wanted to share with you other than the personal things that I just found the whole idea fascinating that here is this woman who became an artist in her 40s. And so that's why I kept arguing with ChatGPT. But besides that, I just want to share some, some of the art that she's best known for. So she is known for her Reticulare series. So that kind of sounds a little bit like reticulating. These were these large hanging structures made of wire and other materials. And she would vary the materials so that the lines that didn't always have the same thickness. So the wire had a consistent thickness, but she might use something else to create more complex web-like pattern. Some attribute her work or the influence and the style to be more that minimalist aesthetic and looking at the relationship between space and form. But what I loved is the way she kept developing a series, which is not completely different from the curator's point of view of the George O'Keefe exhibit that we talked about earlier, how that was about working in a series. Her work had a significant impact on contemporary art, particularly in Latin America. She was not only an artist of her own right, but she also taught graphic design and art, and her students loved her. So there was a lot of evidence of that around. The other thing that I found really interesting, in addition to her reticulari series and her drawings without paper series, she had another series of artwork called, I think you pronounce it Bicho or Bico, I'm not sure, which translate in Spanish to bugs or insects or creatures. And the joke that I was making with the other woman, woman I saw this show with is that there was a picture of her with her cat. And she does these kind of mobiles, these web-like mobiles that were like, well, how does she keep her cat away from these mobiles? Like you can just imagine the cats that jump onto the Christmas trees and attack them. So the joke was when she moved to making, instead of these mobile-like sculptures into making these smaller ones, I said, well, it's because of the cat, obviously. They were saying that she started to work smaller because of her age. And I said, no, 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 it's because of the cat. She didn't want to give up her cat and her cat kept making mischief. So if you are able to get to New York before this show closes, and it is open until September 10th of 2023. You've got to see this. Try to get to New York, go through the Guggenheim. And if you do, write to me and tell me if you were just as moved as I was by this fascinating art and fascinating woman who deserves every bit of this legacy that she's being honored for in this retrospective. It's so completely stunning. And now a review of Artpreneur by Corey. Corey writes entertaining, practical, and experienced. It's pretty rare for an artist with the level of success Miriam has had to spend so much time helping other artists. Her experience and success shine through every page here. 
This book is full of practical, useful information that can be implemented by artists who want to take control of their own careers and not depend solely on galleries and consultants to make a living. It's also funny. The stories and anecdotes that come from a well-fought, well-lived career as an artist will be familiar to those who follow her work and a delightful surprise to those who are encountering her for the first time. And now, back to the show. Okay, so as we wrap up, I want to bring back more ideas about future self. And these come from Jerry Seinfeld. So Jerry has some hilarious jokes about future Jerry and past Jerry. So I think he calls them night Jerry and morning Jerry. But I do want to say some things that he's been quoted as saying that he says his future self is a stranger because I'm sure somebody else is going to be in there and I'm going to be gone. And I want future Jerry to be as happy as I can make him. So Jerry Seinfeld talked about his philosophy of dividing his day into morning Jerry and night Jerry. According to Seinfeld, morning Jerry is the part of him that is optimistic, energized, and ready to tackle the day's challenges. Night Jerry, on the other hand, is more reflective, introspective, and critical. Seinfeld believed that by dividing his day into these two distinct selves, he can better manage his energy and focus. So he took care of his most important tasks during morning Jerry period, when he was at his most productive and focused, and night Jerry was for reflecting and evaluating. And this is actually how he managed his time and energy, and this really helped him stay motivated and engaged and allowed him to balance his creative work and his personal life by recognizing these two selves that operate at different times of the day. And of course, he had some very funny jokes about that, but I can't seem to find it. And ChatGPT wasn't very helpful about that either. But one thing I do want to share that I do that helps me manage my time all the time is I do think about future Miriam. So often I may want to do something like, let's see, what am I going to admit now? How about binging the newest Indian matchmaking season three, which by the way, was hilarious. I don't think she's a very good matchmaker, by the way. I'm finally convinced after three seasons. And season three, the end, she was like, oh, I want to quit. Like, well, based on what we've seen on the show, I don't know. No, I'm just joking. But here's the thing. A lot of times I want to do something and instead of indulging in that thing right away, I'll say, well, I really have to do, for example, record this podcast. And after I record this podcast, then I can go watch an episode or it'll be something of that nature. Like, oh, I have to make all these phone calls and book doctor's appointment, something I've been dreading. And then I can go have that snack. So it's not so much that I'm rewarding myself for doing the work, but I'm just forcing myself to do the work before I do that thing that I really want to indulge in. All right, my friend, I hope that you got a lot of value today talking about future self, talking about how your strength and your shadows or sides are often one and the same, talking about Georgia O'Keefe working in series, Gecko working in series, and of course, 
I hope that you will come and join me in real life in New York City. To check it out, to reserve your spot, head on over to shulmanart.com forward slash IRL. All right, my friend, I'll see you at the same time, same place next week. Until then, stay inspired. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Inspiration Place podcast. Connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash shulmanart, on Instagram at shulmanart, and of course, on shulmanart.com. 